Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. Today's guest is Richard Gelfond, CEO of IMAX Corporation. The company that Gelfond has headed since 1994 operates more than 1,500 large format screens in 80 countries. In preparation for the film industry's annual CinemaCon conference in Las Vegas this week, Gelfond spoke with Brent Lang, Variety's executive editor of film and media, about the box office success of Captain Marvel, the rise of Netflix, and the future of the exhibition business. So I'm here in our New York office with Rich Gelfond, who is the chief executive officer of IMAX Corporation. And we're sitting down. Um, It's just a couple of days after Captain Marvel has totally dominated uh, the box office. So I guess, Rich, first of all, I mean, what what was your sort of take on the results? Were you expecting Captain Marvel to be as big as it as it was? I was certainly expecting Captain Marvel to be big, Brent. I had seen it a couple of weeks before it came out, and I thought it was one of the best uh, Marvel movies I'd ever seen, particularly in IMAX. And the way it tied into Avengers, I was quite bullish. But with that said, for IMAX's opening weekend, internally we had it pegged, at about $30 million worldwide, and it did $36 million worldwide. So I I was surprised. I think the place I was the most surprised was the international outside of China, where we did about $12 million. And um, in countries like Russia and France, where I wasn't quite sure how a female superhero would play, it played extraordinarily well, so I was a little surprised. Why do you think this film was so successful? What was it about it that, that people responded to? I think the character was really special because um, Brie Larson played kind of an ordinary person. Um, I know it's been compared to Wonder Woman, and we did very well in Wonder Woman also, but Gal Gadot is much more glamorous and much more kind of extroverted, and um, Brie Larson is more sort of like could be your next-door neighbor, but a very tough next-door neighbor. And I think people related to that. I think fanboys also were very curious how it would tie in to the Avengers, which is coming in around a month. And um, I think all of that worked well. There were plot twists. Um, I think there were social statements um, uh, about women's um, uh, empowerment that I think were very timely where we are today um, and it was just a very good movie are you are you seeing that are are stories that are more inclusive that uh, have underrepresented groups uh, with lead roles I mean are, are they playing well I mean is is this uh, an area that that you think Hollywood should mine more in terms of, of your own box office well certainly if you look at the last two years with Black Panther last year and Captain Marvel this year the answer would be unequivocally. Yes, and I think even um, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think it was Coco, the Disney uh, animated movie, which did extremely well. So I think absolutely. I think um, you know it, it, it's proven. It's it's long overdue. They should have tried. Not just they. Everyone should have tried movies outside of the traditional mainstream of characters, and it appears to be really working well. You know. People for years have been talking about comic book fatigue, superhero fatigue. You know that there, there are with all of these different companies uh, launching movies about costumed heroes. That that you know there could be kind of uh, fatigue around that. That, that audience could, could reject it. You look at something like Captain Marvel. Are, are you seeing evidence of this? Well, Captain Marvel was one of our top five films 
of all time. And the other four are the two Star Wars recent movies, Jurassic World and Avengers. So this is the best origin story we've ever done. So certainly that's not showing um, evidence of fatigue. Every year we have something called the CEO Forum that IMAX runs, and we invite exhibitors from all over the world, um, 80% of the world's box office, the CEOs come. And several years ago, we had Kevin Feige, I think it was three or four years ago, and someone said at that point, are we seeing superhero fatigue? And Kevin gave one of the best answers that I had heard. He said, you know, a comic book is just a book, and movies have been based on books for decades, and you don't run out of books, so the question is, you know, do you run out of comic books? I, I do think maybe there's a related question, which is, are there limits to sequels and how long they could play? And I think there probably are limits to sequels, and at some point, you know, they they die a natural cycle. But I think that comic books, there are so many different ideas. And, you know, back to your last question, Brent, about diversity, I think we've only begun to mine some of the diverse kinds of characters. So I think this has a long way to run. Well, it's interesting you were talking about sequels and franchises because in any given year, those seem to be the films that are dominating the box office. Uh, Franchises seem to be the kinds of movies that studios want to make. In the past, we've also seen some some indications that maybe there are some franchises that are getting a little long in the tooth. Does that worry you at all that uh, the business is so reliant on... Uh, sequels and franchises? Well, I think you have to separate out sequels from franchise blockbuster type properties. Um, as you know, IMAX is really dependent on blockbusters. We're not an exhibitor. Sometimes people say we're not an, a, we're, we're a North American exhibitor. Well, the irony is we're not North American. 70% of our revenues are outside of North America. And we're not an exhibitor because we don't play a lot of movies. We just play blockbuster movies. So obviously we have a a special interest in making sure that blockbuster movies keep up. But if you look at, you know, even this year, what's going on, Captain Marvel is a new um, franchise that's being established. Um, Lion King, although it's related to other films, is kind of a standalone franchise coming, coming along. Wonder Woman last year was a new franchise. Alita, which did very well for us, we did close to 15% of the U.S. box office and the Chinese box office was a new character and a new franchise. So yes, you have some franchises like you know, Avengers Endgame, um, which was filmed completely with IMAX cameras, being at the end of their cycle. And you have this Star Wars segment at the end of the year being the end of that cycle. But again, if you look ahead um, to 2020, you have Top Gun being revitalized, you have Chris Nolan doing a new movie. And as you know, other than Batman, Chris tends to create new franchises. And um, Chris really likes working with us in IMAX and using our cameras. So I look forward to that. Um, you know, Will he be much. using your camera in the next movie? He, yes, he will. And um, so I think franchise, I think franchises will end, but new ones will start. And, you know, you look at some of the um, new things this year, it. It's it too, but it just, you know, it started last year. Us. Um, I mean, there are different kinds of projects coming in as some of the franchises fade out. And fortunately, I think the public has an appetite for really good ones um, that work. Um, you know, going back just to December, look what Aquaman. I mean, that was not a franchise that existed. And um, we were heavily involved with that. It was a terrific film. Jason Momoa was excellent. 
and now they've announced um, uh, Aquaman 2 for a few years from now. So I think there's a constant replenishment. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what is IMAX. What do you see? Obviously, I know about the technology. A lot of people have been to the theaters. How would you kind of describe the perfect IMAX film? How do you define your brand? I think the perfect IMAX film is something that takes you somewhere you otherwise couldn't go. So I think in Aquaman, you went to the bottoms of the ocean. I think in some of these superhero movies, you're immersed in the experience. I think it's much more experiential, much more um, first party than third party. So when people go to the movies, they tend to watch other people involved in the action and the director focuses their eye on the part of the movie that they want them to act, they want them to look at. Whereas in IMAX, I think it's just much more like you're part of the experience. So the screen is bigger, the resolution is higher, the image is brighter, the sound is louder. So when you go to an IMAX, and I won't even call it a movie, I'll call it an IMAX experience, it's a whole different visceral reaction. And as a matter of fact, some of the services, um, whether it's in China, that does online testing or exit surveys. It shows consumers like the movie much better when they see it in IMAX. And the reason for that is, um, in a way, it becomes partly their own movie, not just the director's movie, because the director is creating this incredible world and um, sort of directing you where to look at it. But you can go multiple times and you look at the world in different ways. As a matter of fact, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but I liked Captain Marvel so much, I saw it twice before it even opened. And the second time I saw it, I liked it even better than the first time because I was more familiar with the story so I could enjoy uh, the visual experience even more. So I think the common elements when you said, you know, what would be the ideal one would be visual splendor, a place you can feel you're traveling to that you couldn't go. And by the way, that's one reason the IMAX documentaries work so well. Apollo 11 just came out in IMAX and the numbers were very impressive. Free Solo, which won the Academy Award, um, came out in IMAX historically. Our space films, our underwater films. I think IMAX is a truly transportive mechanism and you can't get anything like that on the couch. And I think that's one, one reason why when the rest of the movie business is sort of chugging along at you know, relatively slow growth rates, we're growing so rapidly because the consumer can see lots of things in the home that are not that distinguished from what they're seeing at a movie. But I think they're incredibly distinguished from what you see at IMAX. You've also spawned imitators. Uh, a lot of companies have their own premium large formats or whatever they're called. I mean, what's your response to those kinds of uh, experiences? Well, you know, copying is the greatest form of flattery. It's obviously going to happen. I think the whole industry has gone more premium. And I think that's partly because of in-home entertainment. So for people to leave the home, um, they want something else that they can't get in the home. But if you look at some measurements like percentage of box office that IMAX does, so, um, you know, typically if we have our DNA in it, meaning our cameras or aspect ratio or some other element, um, we're somewhere around 12, 13% of, of the film. Um, on a typical, that's in North America. In China, it's kind of similar. The rest of the world in territories where we are 
it's similar, but we're not in every country, although we're in a lot of them. But um, the point is, our indexing has gone up in the last several years, as been more and more of these knockoff IMAX theaters. And I think that says something. The whole category has obviously uh, grown a great deal. But I think as people get educated to seeing a, a premium way to see a movie, they realize that there's an enormous IMAX difference. So, um, you know, they'll seek out IMAX. Now, a lot of these copycats don't have um, proprietary technology, almost all of them. All they do is take a regular um, uh, uh, DCP, um, digital one, and they play it on a bigger screen. And as any kid knows who's ever uh, put their hands on a Xerox machine or tried to blow things up, um, the bigger it is, the worse it looks. And I think, you know, a lot of uh, people thought by putting X in their names that they could confuse consumers and have consumers say, you know, wow, it's got an X in it and it's a big screen. It must be like IMAX. But again, if you look at the empirical evidence, um, I think I'd add to that, which is probably even more important, is the directors themselves. So, you know, when Chris Nolan releases a movie or um, when the Russo brothers are releasing Avengers, which they film with IMAX cameras, you know, they don't go see it, say, see it in Brand X. They all say, go see it in IMAX. And I think a lot of the fanboys and fan women uh, follow that lead. So, you know, at some level, maybe it's good for the business to educate people um, to the way to see a movie is, you know, not at home, not on a small device and not even on a small screen. But at the end of the day, people aren't fooled. They know IMAX is the real thing. You were talking about IMAX DNA, having parts of the IMAX DNA in it. And I assume you're you're talking about IMAX cameras. Uh, how many uh, films typically use your cameras? Uh, are there any that are coming up that, that have relied on them heavily? So it's not just the cameras, although that, that's part of it, Brent. So um, it could be things um, like aspect ratio. Um, regular cinema is much more vertical, um, uh, two, three, five aspect ratio typically. IMAX is much more vertical. So our aspect ratio could go anywhere from uh, 165 to 19. And a number of the movies, um, including Captain Marvel, which just came out, have more IMAX um, footage in them. And that just means it fills more of the IMAX screen. Uh, it depends on the movie and it depends on the theater. Um, but, you know, one of the things we say is 26% more image when we're doing the aspect ratio. And many filmmakers cover to that IMAX aspect ratio. Um, when they shoot. Beyond that, as you said, um, there are instances where we use IMAX cameras and there are a number of films this year uh, that are using IMAX cameras as well as next year. Um, I mentioned to you next year, Chris Nolan is using it. Um, the Russo brothers used IMAX cameras to film the entire um, Avengers Endgame that's coming out soon. Um, there are a number of other movies um, that we haven't announced yet that... Um, that are using them. We have announced Wonder Woman is using IMAX cameras. So over the next couple of years, if you ask me, I would say, you know, probably four to six will use the camera. And more than that, we'll have special IMAX DNA in it. Uh, the cameras themselves are, are pretty uh, heavy, right? I mean, is, is that, have you been able to, to slim them down at, at all? Well, there are two kinds of cameras. There are digital cameras and there are 
uh, film cameras. So the digital cameras, what we've been working on are special lenses that fit on cameras that filmmakers are used to working with. So those are just regular cameras that can, and then they're enhanced by IMAX to enable them to capture the IMAX um, aspect ratio and the IMAX characteristics. There are also film cameras, which you're referring to, which are heavy cameras. Um, no, we can't lighten them because um, uh, 1570 film is really big and really heavy. Um, but filmmakers, um, primarily led by Chris Nolan, um, have learned how to maneuver those cameras. So I can't say I wasn't nervous at first, but Chris has figured out you know, how to put them in airplanes. Um, we figured out how to take them underwater. Um, you know, we've done scenes handheld. As you may remember, years ago, they were carried to the top of Mount Everest. So they're not ideal to work with. But on the other hand, the um, output is so phenomenal and the response is so great. So, you know, on some of these movies where we've used our cameras, we've indexed over 20% of the box office. So I think the filmmakers find it worthwhile. And if it's just too much for the way they've designed the movie, because of the weight, they'll use a digital camera. Uh, as we sit down just moments ago, actually, uh, Disney announced that uh, it's going to be closing its deal to acquire Fox on, on the 20th of March. Um, I wonder what consolidation means for you. Uh, are you worried that there's going to be a fewer, one fewer studio providing uh, content uh, for your theaters? Do you think uh, there will be new players who will emerge who will fill that void? So in our case, I'm not worried, and that's because Disney is one of our best partners in the world. And um, Disney and IMAX have de developed an organization-wide close working relationship. So um, for Captain Mar Marvel, Disney produced special art with IMAX's frame around it and uses us as a marketing tool for the campaign. And I think Disney really understands that the brand association um, between Disney and Marvel uh, particularly on a global basis, because we're in 80 countries, is a good thing for Disney. I think um, the IMAX name helps, in a way, curate uh, a um, very crowded field. It says to the audience, this is a special movie. Maybe it was filmed a special way. It's certainly shown a certain way, and the filmmakers will talk about it. And I think as Disney acquires Fox, um, Disney will... Um, do even a better job than Fox at eventizing some of the Fox movies. So the most obvious ones are the, um, uh, the, the reuniting of the Marvel universe. And I think, um, Disney and Kevin Feige will do a really good job of further promoting that. But we already had a very good experience with Fox. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody was a huge, um, upside surprise for us. And Alita was another one that was, um, um, it, it, uh, you know, surprise upside for us. So I think Disney will further try and eventize the Fox properties. And given our relationship and given our position as the place to eventize content out of home, I think that'll be very positive. Um, the second part of your question about additional content, um, I do think because um, the theater, the studios are going into streaming and the streaming con companies are going into theatrical, there'll be an abundance of new content. And I do think, again, going back to the point I just made about curating, I think people are going to try and separate themselves in the field. So when 
you know, one of the streaming services spends over a hundred million dollars um, to make a film online. I think it's going to have to have a theatrical run at some point. And I know your next question will be about Windows. Um, but I think they're going to come to terms with their needing to be some Windows if they want theatrical and IMAX to play them. So I think, you know, in addition to Is- Disney, um, Fox being part of a broader good trend, there's just a lot more content. And again, when you go in the future, and whether it's released theatrically or whether it's released streaming-wise, um, how are you going to curate all that content? And I think, you know, particularly over the past five to ten years, IMAX has played a pivotal role in curating it and kind of pointing audiences with um, with our blue frame and saying, this is where you see it in a special way. So I think, I don't know exactly how it'll play out, Brent. We have to see that, but I think it's going to be good for us. Well, you you absolutely correctly anticipated my next question, which is about when doing. I mean, what do you think um, is going to happen with this debate? I mean, we've already seen uh, a lot of, of very heated emotions around this issue, around the issue of Netflix and, and when uh, and if there are going to be any kind of theatrical release with its films. Is, is there going to be some middle ground found here? Um, if you ask my guess, the answer would be yes. Again, because of um, we're housed in, um, in multiplexes and our partners or exhibitors will only play films if our exhibition partners agree to it, period, end of it. But with that said, I do think it's going to come to a middle ground at some point. Um, you saw Netflix with Roma started to chip away at it. Um, I don't know if you saw the ad during the Oscars uh, for the Irishman with Netflix, but they made a point to say there was a theatrical release. And I believe um, there'll be uh, bigger windows than there were around Roma, whether they're good enough for exhibitors and therefore whether we play it is an open story. But I do think they're going to move in that direction. And I think if they do move in that direction, eventually um, some of the um, some of the studios are going to meet in the middle somewhere. With that said, the theatrical experience is crucial. Um, I went with my wife to Pompeii um, this summer, and there was a theater built thousands of years ago. And, you know, the theatrical experience is something that's existed um, for an extremely long time as part of human civilization. And there have been all kinds of changes in the movie industry. Obviously, there's been talking, there's been television there's been dvd there's been vhs there's been and now there's streaming and uh, movies have survived all of those and the theater is still a very very special experience and i think it's going to remain so you know way way into the future but you know whether the right number is 12 weeks or whatever it is i do think there are going to be economic pressures where um the exhibitors are going agree over time to some middle ground i mean do you think the theatrical window is too long at 90 days or whatever it it is roughly it it seems like studios maintain it is too long so you know fortunately for imax i don't have to get into that debate because we play movies for one week or two weeks and in an occasional case it'll be three weeks we're not in the um, movie business per se we're in the blockbuster business so you know whatever the windows are um, people are going to want to see Captain Marvel, Avengers, Star Wars, Lion King, Wonder Woman, 
etc. in IMAX. So, you know, I don't have to weigh into that debate. I think, you know, wherever they all work out, it's going to be fine for us. Um, 3D. A few years ago, people were very high on it. They, they thought it was a great way to differentiate film between uh, kind of home entertainment. What, what happened? It, it seems like it's just sort of a non-event these days, at least domestically. I think um, I think studios worldwide got carried away with 3D, and I think the early successes like Avatar and um, uh, Alice in Wonderland, the numbers were so strong that I think studios thought we could put a lot of things into 3D and it would work. And I think the consumer was just smarter than that, and the consumer knew what was generic 3D and what was phony 3D. And I think phony 3D was done to drive up ticket prices. Um, I don't expect you to remember this, Brent, but as a matter of fact, when 3D first came out um, at CinemaCon, I stood up and I said, um, I don't want to take the vodka out of the punch bowl, but I don't think um, 3D is a silver bullet. And I said that because IMAX had had a lot of experience with 3D. We weren't new to the game. Um, I think it still remains in certain territories like China and Russia, very popular. But I also think if it's um, embedded in the film and in what the filmmaker was thinking, there's still a place for 3D. So if you look, I, you know, I, I mentioned again, Jim Cameron and um, did Alita Battle Angel. Um, we played that in 3D and it did very well because it was a ger- generic 3D movie. Uh, Ready Player One, which Spielberg did, was designed to be a 3D movie. And, you know, that did extremely well in 3D. Um, I think, you know, around the corner at the end of 2020, we have Avatar coming, uh, which Jim Cameron is clearly designing as a 3D movie. And I think we're all going to have to respect that. But I think it just got flooded with taking movies that really weren't envisioned the right way or filmed the right way. And they were um, put into 3D. And I just don't think particularly domestic audiences had an appetite for that. You know, we'll see whether foreign audiences continue to prefer 3D over 2D in a really broad way or whether that comes in. And I think we'll follow where the consumer tastes go. Do you think um, another Avatar film could reinvigorate uh, 3D? Do you think that that could kind of have another rediscovery of that format? In a way, I, I, I hope not. I mean, I hope it invigorates interest for Avatar in 3D, if that's what um, Jim Cameron and John Landau are trying to do. Um, I hope it doesn't um, reinvigorate, you know, take any movie and put it in 3D, because personally, I don't think that's the best way to experience um, those types of things. I think if it's intended to be, um, you know, then great. But if it's not intended to be, I don't think we should force consumers to watch what they don't want because we want a t- higher ticket price. You've been very successful in China. I was looking at your most recent quarter. It seems like the Chinese box office has been very good to IMAX. Um, other entertainment companies have not had as positive an experience in China, uh, despite you know the, the box office growth there. What's gone well for IMAX and what's gone wrong for, for other players in that space? So in the first quarter of this year, um, we're up 60% year over year in China. And our Chinese New Year um, was up 40% year over year over last year's China New Year. 
So a, a, a lot of things have gone well for IMAX. I'll start at a higher level and then get in the weeds. Um, we've been in China for about 20 years, and um, we really constructed a company around local tastes and local management. So we're not a North American company that's exporting <coughs> um, our ideas to China. We have over 100 people that work in China. We have a Chinese CEO. Um, we're a public company on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, of which we own 70% of it. We have lots of Chinese shareholders. We have lots of Chinese partners on the studio side, um, as well as on the exhibition side and the talent side. And we've approached China in, as a market unto itself, meaning, um, you know, we don't treat China like we treat the rest of the world. And we apply, you know, different rules, different marketing techniques, different perspective. So that's kind of the high level answer to your question. At a lower level, um, you know, tastes have changed rapidly in China in the last couple of years. So we've gone much more to local programming. So even in the last um, couple of years, in 17, we had 25% of what we showed in IMAX theaters was local content. And in 18, it was 33%. And, um, you know, I, I see that continuing to go up. The other thing in China is that it's very difficult to predict what the number one film is. I think because of the way tracking works in North America and the existence of sequels, it's easier to say, um, you know, Avengers is going to be a really big movie when it opens. Whereas in China, um, on a, on something like Chinese New Year, it's just much more difficult to assess. So what we're doing now is we're playing multiple movies. Um, rather than one movie on Chinese New Year. So this year, um, there were, there were three movies we played. Crazy Aliens, uh, Pegasus and Wandering Earth. And everyone said Crazy Aliens was going to be number one. And some people said Wandering Earth would be number four. So funny thing happened on the first day, it started to play out by that. But by the second day, it was clear that Wandering Earth was by far, um, the most popular film. So we changed our programming with our partners, um, much more so towards Wandering Earth. And it ended up being our biggest release in our history in China, where we did $45 million um, in box office. So that flexibility in programming um, was a really big deal for us. Um, we also changed our marketing a little bit. Um, in China, 85% of the tickets are sold online, um, which is much greater than almost anywhere in the world. So in North America, if you did a marketing campaign, you do bus shelters, you do big posters, you do television. But in China, it's much more important to be allied with the ticketing platforms. The largest ticketing platform in China is called Maoyan, which has um, a 60% market share. And they recently went public in Hong Kong, and we participated in that and became a cornerstone investor. And... Um, since that investment, a little bit before actually, we've been starting to have more of a strategic relationship with them. So that means more access to data. We're starting a frequent flyer kind of um, program for our customers. And we're going to try and use the data to help us even in the selection process. So I think you really had to uh, adapt to the changing China market. A few years ago, it was easy. It was growing at 40% a year. And, um, you know, the tide was 
um, flowing so hard, all you had to do was get in front of it and it would lift you up. But I think you had to learn to deal with um, not only more local content, but what kinds of local content and more of the particulars of that market. And I think we've done that, and that's why we've been pretty successful. You were talking about a frequent flyer program. I wondered, is there any role for a subscription service at IMAX, either domestically or, or overseas? Would you ever think about doing some kind of movie pass type thing, but geared at, at IMAX customers? Um, at the present, we're not thinking about that. Um, as I said, in China, it's more if you go multiple times, you get prizes <coughs> or extra times to go, that sort of thing. Um, we're embedded in, in a number of theater operators' existing programs. So in Europe, we're in Cineworld's program, we're in Odeon's program, we're in Pathé's program, we're in a number of them. In the U.S., we're in Cinemark's program, and AMC has just put in place an interesting program called A-List, where if you subscribe to their program, you can go to either regular theaters or IMAX theaters. And it's a different kind of model. Um, we're experimenting. I don't know which one is better, but I do know that um, our indexing, our percentage of box office continues to go up. And um, with the AMC program, it's even gone up more than with other programs. So I think embedding ourselves and um, trying different programs and understanding what works and doesn't work is ultimately going to be good for IMAX. But I think these programs will get more refined and we'll learn more about what are the best kinds. Um, your stock is is improving recently, but it's had kind of a rough go of it. And it's not just IMAX. All sort of exhibition stocks have gotten had a rough go of it in the last few years. Why has the street been so pessimistic about this space? And wh what are they getting right or wrong? Well, you, you know, you're right. But first, let's talk about IMAX. When you say this space, IMAX isn't in that space. As I said earlier, we're not North American and we're not an exhibitor. As a matter of fact, IMAX in 80 countries is in more places than Starbucks. So I'll address IMAX first, which is, um, you know, we have no debt and over $100 million um, in cash. Um, we don't put money into real estate or facilities. We license our intellectual property. We have extremely high margins. Um, we play only blockbuster films. Um, so I think with respect to IMAX, and I understand it a little because there aren't comparables and the street has trouble valuing things when there aren't comparables. But, you know, I, I think IMAX is more like a technology company or a licensing company. And I think um, the street gets confused about that. But as you said, more recently, as we've um, broken out of the pack and while the rest of the industry of the ex exhibition industry is kind of, um, you know, down this quarter, we're up because of our global presence, um, particularly over last year and against um, analyst estimates. Um, as for the exhibition industry, you know, I think the street gets a little confused as to the role of, of streaming going forward. And I think there's an irrational fear factor that streaming is going to be sort of an existential event um, for theatrical, which I don't think is going to be the case. Um, most of the studios have gotten more into the blockbuster business, which I don't see as um, particularly threatened by streaming. 
And I think um, the exhibition business is also diversifying and will continue to diversify into different types of alternative content, premium, um, different food offerings. So I think they're just um, overlooking the evolution that's going on and, and marketing. I mean, the, the brilliant marketing things that a lot of those companies are doing. And um, just circling back to where I started to the extent they're confusing that. I think they're even confusing it more with IMAX because, as I mentioned to you earlier, I think streaming has nothing to do with IMAX because I think in the first two weeks, people are going to see blockbuster movies, whether they could see them, you know, six weeks later on their phone or 12 weeks later on their phone. So sort of in closing, I'm interested in, in hearing your thoughts on what's the biggest obstacle that cinema faces and what's the biggest opportunity i think the biggest obstacle um cinema faces is probably figuring out how to market to gen x and millennials and i think cinema in general has been you know a little bit caught in a place where it's still marketing starting to change um um, in the last couple of years but one studio executive who i won't mention told me that he told his team that for the next movie, he, um, he doesn't want to hear double trunk ads, uh, bus stop ads, posters on the wall, TV ads. And the team came back with the next movie and it was exactly the same thing. And he was pulling his hair out of his head. He didn't have much, so that's a giveaway. But um, he, didn't, he didn't have much hair to pull out. But I think the system is really embedded in a way of doing things that is very hard to change. And I think it's got to change. And um, I mentioned to you before, we have a CEO conference every year, and ours is right before CinemaCon this year. And one of the big topics we're going to try and tackle is how could studios and exhibitors work together in sharing data and, and targeting it. So I'd say that's the biggest obstacle. Um, I think the biggest opportunity is how much content there is coming out right now. And I think people just have to think of content in different ways. And I don't only mean um, studios and streaming services, but I mean, you know, on a broader level, things like esports, things like concerts, things like um, all kinds of live events that are going on. Destination entertainment is exploding. And particularly IMAX is a form of destination entertainment. And I think all of us have to think outside the box, um, intended pun, and think of how to turn yourselves more into a destination entertainment company. And that's something we're doing. Well, Rich, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. Strictly Business.